So that is Joshua chapter 5. As soon as all the kings of the Amorites, who were beyond the Jordan to the west, and the kings of the Canaanites, who were by the sea, heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan for the people of Israel until they had crossed over, their hearts melted, and there was no longer any spirit in them because of the people of Israel. At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, Make flint knives and circumcise the sons of Israel a second time. So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the sons of Israel at Gebeth Haraloth. And this is the reason why Joshua circumcised them. All the males of the people who came out of Egypt, all the men of war, had died in the wilderness on the way after they had come out of Egypt. Though all the people who came out had been circumcised, yet all the people who were born on the way in the wilderness after they had come out of Egypt had not been circumcised. For the people of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness until all the nation, the men of war who came out of Egypt, perished because they did not obey the voice of the Lord. The Lord swore to them that he would not let them see the land that the Lord had sworn to their fathers to give to us, a land flowing with milk and honey. So it was their children whom he raised up in their place that Joshua circumcised. For they were uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way. When the circumcising of the whole nation was finished, they remained in their places in the camp until they were healed. And the Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. And so the name of that place is called Gilgal to this day. When the people of Israel were encamped at Gilgal, they kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month in the evening on the plains of Jericho. And the day after the Passover, on that very day, they ate of the produce of the land, unleavened cakes and parched grain. And the manna ceased the day after they ate of the produce of the land. And there was no longer manna for the people of Israel, but they ate of the fruit of the land of Canaan that year. When Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? And he said, No, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth, and he worshipped and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take off your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. (coughs) Thanks, Josh. All right. Well, um, good evening, everyone. Oh, that was a bit weak, wasn't it? Let's try again. Good evening, everyone. There we go. We're awake. That's good. It is a long weekend, I know, and uh, it's good that you're here. And um, I'm sure everyone's looking forward to the day off tomorrow. Uh, but um, yeah, it's good that we can be here and uh, to hear God speak to us tonight uh, in this chapter of Joshua. Well, uh, I I don't know about you guys, but I have never been much of a runner. Never been much of a runner. I remember the first time I attempted a five-kilometer run. Has anyone here run five kilometers in one sitting before? 
Okay, fair amount of people, yep. So I remember the first time I did it. And the thing I remember about it was that it didn't take long for the questions and doubts to start popping into my mind. It was only a little way into the run that I, that I began thinking, how much longer is this going to go on for? And then it was, oh, am I going to be able to keep up this speed that I've started with? And then it was, should I take a break? No one's here, it'll be fine, no one will mind. But the biggest question I think I had was, am I going to be able to make it to the finish line? Now, I don't know if you've ever experienced that, having done a long, long distance run. Uh, maybe you don't consider five kilometers to be long distance. That's totally fair. Um, but yeah, I wonder if you've ever experienced that, going on a run, wondering if you'll be able to finish it off. Now, I mention that because I think it's a little bit of a microcosm of what the Christian life is like. Uh, Christians are called to the uh, long distance journey, so to speak, of uh, f- living a life for Christ. Uh, one that's filled with many highs, no doubt. Uh, the buzz, for example, that you might get when you first come to know who Jesus is and what he's done for you. Or perhaps uh, being part of uh, the joy that comes with being part of a community uh, that follows him, like the one we have here. But it can also, at the same time, be filled uh, with many lows as well. Uh, And I think uh, prime among those is often the question, will I be able to make it to the finish line? Or am I going to get derailed, perhaps, Liam? Am I going to get off track because of a besetting sin, a sin that I really struggle with, or maybe a a dramatic or, or sudden change in my life circumstances? Or am I going to find that maybe this whole Christian thing just wasn't what I thought it was, and so... I'm going to take a break from it and maybe never even resume the race. Now, if that's the case for you, well, what will help us to keep going when it comes to running the Christian life as we traverse what can be, at times, a difficult journey, as we enjoy the the hills but also struggle through those valleys? Well, in our passage for tonight in the book of Joshua, chapter 5, we'll see just how helpful it is to know that we have a God who fights for his people. Okay, a God who fights for his people. And we'll see this in the following ways. Okay, three ways. Firstly, we see it through his mighty acts. His mighty acts. We'll see it as well through his faithfulness. And finally, we'll see it through his presence. Okay, three things from Joshua chapter 5. If you've got your Bible there, make sure you keep it open as we go through it. So this is a, about a God who fights for his people. And I think this becomes obvious right from the get-go, uh, even into verse 1, which I'm going to read. Uh, follow along with me as I read uh, from verse 1. It says this, As soon as all the kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan uh, to the west and all the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan for the people of Israel until they had crossed over. Their hearts melted and there was no longer any spirit in them because of the people of Israel. Now, I like to play basketball. I think I've talked about this before. One of the things I hear over and over from coaches, from experts in the sport, is that if you want to do well, well, you've got to have confidence, right? Confidence is critical, even if perhaps your skills aren't as good as your opponent. So 
to find out then that you're going to come up again, you're going to compete against someone, an opponent that is terrified of you, of facing you, if that happens, it means you've got a massive advantage over them. Massive advantage before you've even begun. And that's exactly what we see here in verse 1 of chapter 5 of Joshua, as the people of God have just entered the promised land. Now, verse 1 it functions something like a bridge between uh, last week's passages, so chapters 3 and 4, and tonight's passage. And if you were here uh, last week, you would have heard uh, Mark took take us through uh, those previous two chapters, uh, where God miraculously held back the waters of the Jordan River. These were a deep bank, a deep uh, uh, river in its flood stages, in its stages of flooding. So like lots and lots of water. The river gets parted and the people are able to cross over to the other side on dry land. So there's this mighty act from God. And what's happened as a result? What's the first thing we read? Well, the people who are in the promised land have heard about this and they are terrified. Okay, there's their, their hearts melted, it says, and there was no longer any spirit in them. Now that means that they're so shocked <laughs> at the prospect of facing God's people that the, the breath has gone out of them, that they're breathless, right? They're, they're the proverbial deer in the headlights. They're stunned mullets. Right? And this is incredible because at this point, Israel hasn't even picked up a sword yet. They haven't done anything, and already their enemies are afraid. So it makes you think, what better place could you be in if you're in God's people? And it's all happened because of God's mighty act that took place before. He's put them on the path to victory before they've even lifted a finger. That's the God who is fighting for his people. Well, then we move uh, to the next verse, verse 2, and we see uh, God continue to fight for his people, this time through his faithfulness. And we see this in particularly verses 2 to verse 12 in two separate events, two separate events that are listed there. First, the men of Israel are circumcised. It's there in verse 2. Read it with me. It says this, At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, Make flint knives and circumcise the sons of Israel a second time. So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the sons of Israel at Gibeath Aharaloth. Now circumcision, if you're not familiar, was the Old Testament practice that applied the sign of the covenant to God's people. It was a special thing that was done to, to mark them out as God's people. It, it's a little like uh, if you go to a, a music concert, I know we haven't had heaps of those during COVID, but uh, when you go to a music concert, they'll often give you a wristband, right? a brightly colored wristband when you've paid for your ticket and as you gain entry. Right? And, and so what it does is it shows to you and to everyone else who's there at the event that you belong. Okay? You've paid, you've paid your ticket, you've gained entry, you belong at the event. And so uh, vice versa, if you're there at the event and you don't have one of those wristbands, well, it means you've likely snuck in. You've got in there the wrong way, okay? You don't belong in the event, okay? And so the sign of circumcision was something like that. It showed that you belonged to God's people. 
Not, not to a concert, you belonged to God. You were part of his promised people. And so this is why uh, this sign, taking a moment to apply this sign, was so important, such a critical thing to do. And it's why they needed to stop right here, just as they've entered, to make it happen. Even, in fact, if that meant that they were then going to be vulnerable for a few days while the, the fighting men took time to recover. Now, I know what you're thinking. Uh, circumcise them a second time isn't once bad enough. Well, they, they needed to do it. Right? They needed to do it because as we read, this particular generation had not yet been circumcised. Okay? Now, that's in verse 4 and 5. And so what that meant is it's as if uh, with the previous generation, the, the covenant with God, his special arrangement that he makes with his people, it's as if that covenant was on pause. And now, with this new generation who are entering the lands, the covenant is being renewed because they're they're applying the sign once more. It's as if, to use our illustration, it's as if the previous generation had lost the wristband and now it had been found and was put back in place. And so what this means is that God is faithful to his promise, the promise that he makes to his people, even though the previous generation was unfaithful. Okay, so have a look at verse 6. Verse 6, this is what it reads. Uh, For the people of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness until all the nation, the men of war who came out of Egypt, perished because they did not obey the voice of the Lord. The Lord swore to them, that he would not let them see the land that the Lord had sworn to their fathers to give to us, a land flowing with milk and honey. Now, in most uh, typical uh, arrangements that we might make with another person in life, whether that's uh, in business or in our personal lives, generally, if one side doesn't keep their end of the bargain, well, what happens? Well, the bargain fails, so if you go to uh, buy something, for example, from uh, Facebook Marketplace, right, you arrange to, to meet the seller to get the item, but then you rock up and you don't bring any money, you don't have any money to pay for it, well, what's going to happen? Well, the deal will be off, won't it? But this isn't the way things have worked with God. See, the, the, the previous generation that came before this one that's entering the land, they had refused to obey the voice of God. And still, still God keeps his promise. Now, have you ever had someone kind of just flat out refuse to respond to something that you've said? Or maybe you've said something, had a conversation with someone, and then they just suddenly totally ignore you? Have you ever had something like that happen to you? Actually, uh, this is uh, something, if you do it over text... This is something called ghosting. Now, maybe you've heard of this. I don't know if you've ever experienced this from someone. It's when someone just totally, completely ignores you without giving you the heads up. Or they just avoid you. Now, you wouldn't do something like that if you were face-to-face with someone. Right? If you were right there in their face and then they say something and you just don't, don't uh, respond. You wouldn't do that, would you? Because, you know, that would be incredibly rude and disrespectful to that person. But yet, that's exactly how the previous Israelite generation seemed to, to uh, respond or act towards God. Right? That they ghosted God. 
They stopped listening to him. They stopped obeying him. And what happened? Well, the result was that they missed out on the covenant blessings that God had promised to his people. They didn't get to see the land. Instead, spent 40 years wandering the wilderness. Now, that same thing happens uh, all around us today in our world. Right? Our city is filled with people who are ghosting God, either by ignoring him or just straight out rejecting him. Right? And, and that can even be the case in here within these four walls or, or for those watching along at home, right? It can even be the case here at church. When you perhaps choose to ignore what God says, if it's inconvenient or, or maybe it's hard or it'll cost you or you just plain don't want to do it. But here's the point. Despite all that disobedience, Despite the disobedience of this previous unfaithful generation, God still brings his people into the promised land. God still continues to be faithful to his promises. He keeps fighting for his people. That's who he is. And in doing so, what does God say in verse 9? What does he say after the circumcision has taken place? He says this, he says, today I have rolled away the reproach, the the disgrace, the shame of Egypt from you. And so the name of that place is called Gilgal to this day. Now the word uh, Gilgal in the original language, it sounds like uh, the word uh, for roll away in the the original language, hence that's where they get, get the name from. But it shows us exactly who God is, what he's like. Because all the shame, all the embarrassment that the people of Israel earned because they were rescued from Egypt, but instead of uh, being taken to the promised land, they ended up wandering the wilderness for 40 years, right? All that sin and shame, God is saying, now I have rolled that away. And it's all thanks to God's faithful action. But he's the one who told them to place the sign of the covenant upon themselves. He's the one who said, I have rolled away your shame. He's the one who fulfills his promise. And this is the exact same God who does the same thing for his people today as well. But in Christ... He rolls away our shame. He can roll away our sin and shame as well. Everything that that we might be ashamed of, the things that we've done in our lives. Now, all sin brings us uh, shame and disgrace before God. And whether that's uh, the big things, that things that perhaps we would rather die than admit to other people. Perhaps that's, that's like big stuff, like cheating on a spouse, committing a crime, indulging in a, a, pornogra- a, porno- a pornographic habit. Or maybe the little things like uh, speeding, telling white lies, slacking off at work. And whatever it might be, it, it does bring us shame and disgrace before God. But here's the thing. 
in Christ, if you are trusting in Jesus, God has rolled that away. That's the, the, that's the wonderful news from this passage. I should say that opportunity is available to, to you now, even if right at this moment, you're not part of God's people. Right now, God, he placed the sign of his covenant on his people. And it was, yes, it was their obedience that showed that they had been marked as part of the covenant. But the same chance is available to any who are here tonight, any who might be watching along at home. That same chance is available to any who would respond to God in obedience and faith, just like this new generation does here in Joshua chapter 5. And that means you too can have the freedom, the, the joy of knowing that your sin and shame is rolled away by God, that it is removed completely, right? Because that's what God does. That's something God does for all those who trust and obey him. That's how faithful he is. That's the God who fights for his people. And that faithfulness uh, continues uh, in the next few verses as the people celebrate the Passover, which is the second sign uh, of his faithfulness. Now, that the Passover was another a significant part of Israelite life. It was a ritual that they were to keep regularly uh, for one purpose. That was to uh, remind them of what God had done in rescuing them from Egypt some 40 years earlier. Now, he didn't just rescue them to send them out in the desert, like we said. The big point was for God to rescue them, to bring them into the promised land. Promised land and Passover are intimately connected. And so that's what makes this moment in Joshua chapter 5 so significant. Because here they are, once again, partaking in the Passover. They're, They're obeying God, they're carrying out their covenantal duties. But the incredible thing is they finally arrived They are in the promised land. That the purpose of the Passover in many ways is now complete. And look how much emphasis the writer gives to this idea. In the space of just two verses, the verses 11 and 12, he mentions that they eat of the produce of the land. He says it three times, three times in two verses, just to really drive it home. Now, I've got a picture on the screen behind me of a, a gentleman. I'm going to go to the next slide, I hope. There it is. Now, this is um, James, I hope I'm pronouncing this right, Macaloon, I, ho- I think that's right. Um, this is a gentleman who decided in uh, 2020 that he would take some time off his uh, work, time off his job, to go and do something that's probably unimaginable for most of us. Uh, what, what did he do? Well, he went to walk across our country, walk from one side of Australia to the other using only this, this thing to carry all his supplies, right from the, the Sunshine Coast in Queensland, uh, right here to sunny Perth. That was the plan. That's a journey of about 5,100 kilometres. Now, he spent about 12 weeks travelling, uh, ended up into the, the middle of Australia, so to Uluru, to Ayers Rock, but... Then he was stopped. Uh, he couldn't go any further because of uh, COVID. Uh, our hard border was in place. Uh, and so he wasn't able to get inside WA. And, and so he actually had to end up waiting two whole years till our border was open. We know all about that. 
before he could get back on the road again. Right? Two years of waiting, and then finally he was able to continue his journey. And late last year, he finally uh, made it uh, to the West Coast. Now, if I was him, I don't know about you, but I suspect that upon seeing the oasis that is the Indian Ocean, after such a long journey, I'm sure he would have felt a huge sense of relief, a huge sense of gratitude to have been able to complete this uh, remarkable journey. And I'm sure as well, a massive sense of achievement, right? To be able to say, look at what I did. Now, compare that to Israel, who have waited more than 40 years to get to their destination. But the thing with Israel was, it wasn't their efforts that got them there. Right? They can't say, look at what I did. Now, remember that that last generation ended up going off the rails. If anything, this, uh, pre, this current generation should still be wandering the desert. But what happened? God applied the sign of the covenant to his people and he graciously rolls away their shame. It's his efforts that mean that, that they get there. It's his faithfulness that means his people enter the land that he promised to Abraham some 700 years earlier. At this point in the story, we're meant to look at this and go, it's happened just like God said it would. In fact, it was never in doubt that his people would reach the promised land. And we can see that, I think, when you look at verse 11. Verse 11, here's what the, the writer says. And the day after the Passover, on that very day, they ate of the produce of the land, unleavened cakes and parched grains. Now, do you notice the emphasis there? It's God saying, not even one day has passed where I haven't been looking after my people. Not even one day has passed where I haven't been guiding them to the promised land. Not even one day has passed where I haven't been faithful to my promise. That is the faithfulness of our God who fights for us. But still, he has more to show his people in this chapter of of Joshua because in the, the final three verses of this text, we see one last incident uh, that solidifies this picture of God that we've seen thus far. Now, Joshua, as a leader of God's people, he's a military leader. He's he's nearby at uh, Jericho, according to the text, and that's uh, the closest Canaanite city. Now, he's likely doing some reconnaissance, perhaps, maybe uh, plotting their next move. But then the author reveals this kind of incredible uh, moment, this exchange that happens next. Okay, So read with me uh, from verse 13. Here's what it says. When Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing there before him with his drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua said to him, I went to him and said to him, are you for us or for our adversaries? Now, that's a completely, I think, normal question to ask, given the situation, particularly when this, this man has just appeared seemingly out of nowhere. Right? Joshua needs to know who it is and whether he's for them or against them. Well, then the response comes in verse 14. 
And he said, no, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. Now, as to who this figure is exactly, or there's, there's some debate about that, but one thing is crystal clear. This figure is God's representative, which means that for Joshua, as he's standing there, it's, it's as if God himself is standing right before him. And as you keep reading there, well, Joshua, he responds by worshipping Uh, This figure, and then later, uh, there's a later reference to the place that they're standing being holy ground. Okay, and both these things only serve to back this idea up. And so what we see here is that it's not just God's mighty acts that are on display. It's not just his faithfulness that's on display. It's also his presence that we see. Okay, God is right there with his people. And he's ready to fight. He's got the the sword drawn. Now, we don't know exactly what Joshua is doing. Maybe he was uh, doing reconnaissance. But what we do see, what we do know is that God is ready to fight. He's going to be right there with them as they go about trying to take the promised land. And he, he won't be fighting for them in some kind of abstract sense. No, it's a, it's a little like the difference between someone uh, say you're going to walk down a dark alley and someone says to you, look, I'll keep an eye on you while you walk down the dark alley. All right? It's the difference between that and instead the person saying, no, I'll walk with you down the dark alleyway. Right? That's what God's doing. He's saying he's going to be present with his people as they follow him in obedience and faith. And it's only going to happen because God is uh, fighting for his people. Now, if you're Joshua, you're standing there and you're looking at the city uh, and, and suddenly this commander of the army of the Lord appears with, this, with a sword drawn in his hand, what are you now thinking about the rest of what you have to do as far as taking the, the promised land goes? What are you now thinking about that? Are you more worried or more confident to discover that God is there. Well, surely it's the latter. Surely it's the latter, right? God is with you. He's there just as he promised he would be. And he's got his sword in his hand. Now, this means that uh, for you and I, as we follow Jesus today, we can have the same sort of confidence about following Jesus as we walk uh, by, as we walk beside him day by day as a member of his family, right? God just didn't fight for his people back then, thousands of years ago in a different time and place. No, he continues to fight for his people today as well. Now, how do I know this? Well, we have promises like in uh, Matthew chapter 28, Jesus says to his people, Uh, To his disciples, I will be with you always to the very end of the age. We have a promise like that, right? And that's not some kind of wishful thinking on Jesus' part. That's That's a guarantee. That's a guarantee that if you're trusting in Christ, that he is with you right now. That means he's with you as you walk through the difficulties of life, as you follow him in obedience and faith. Now, Joshua would have known that the the path ahead for them 
the path through the promised land was going to be difficult, that they were going to get into battle, right? They were about to put their lives on the line to be obedient to God. And so I suspect knowing that God was right there with them as they did that would make all the difference, wouldn't it? No, that means he's there for us. That means he's there for us as we seek to fight sin, for example, as we seek to be faithful in our lives. He's he's there with us as well as we look ahead to what's coming up in life and maybe we're thinking, how can I keep going? Well, I can know that God is right there with me. He's there even if maybe I'm feeling overwhelmed as I think about walking as a Christian, as I think about living as a Christian, maybe I'm feeling overwhelmed by that. Well, the promise is that God is right there with you. He has his drawn sword in his hand and he's not ever going to stop fighting. Now, in, in Colossians uh, chapter 2, another New Testament passage, the Apostle Paul, as he writes to the Colossian church, he says that for those who are in Christ, for those who uh, trust in him, He says, you have been circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Now, that circumcision that he's talking about there, so to speak, is is Christ's death. Right? That's the circumcision of Christ, that Jesus went to the cross, that he bore in his flesh the scars of that uh, moment, that was the, the mighty act that he did on our behalf, right? where he went to the cross to pay for our sin, our shame, uh, and, and to, to roll that away. Right? Because of what Christ has done, it can be removed from us thanks to what Jesus has done. And now do you think that if Jesus has gone to all that effort, all that effort to live a perfect life, to, to die on the cross, if he's gone to all that effort, will he then, when life gets difficult for you, as you seek to follow him, will he then say, sorry, uh, this is all, this has just become too hard. Uh, you're on your own. Right, is he going to do something like that? Of course not. Right, Jesus is going to be faithful as we seek to follow him. Right, it's just like when you, you uh, pay a, a large price for a new car, Right, that you're going to make sure you take good care of it, aren't you? You're not going to leave it by the side of the road. In the same way, Jesus, in paying the infinitely greater cost of uh, his life on, or his death on the cross, well, he's not going to give up on you when you might be struggling in your walk with him, right? As you run the the Christian life, and he goes, I think Jesus goes even so far as to show us this in tangible ways. Just like God did for the Israelites here, okay? Uh, except for us or for them, it was uh, circumcision and Passover. Well, today, as Christians, we have things like baptism and the Lord's Supper, right? We do those regularly here. Those are, are tactile expressions of God's faithfulness to us and expressions of his presence with us. In Christ, we have those regular reminders about who he is and what he's done for us. Now, as we wrap things up, I don't know exactly uh, what's going on in each and all of your lives here tonight. I don't, I don't know all the things that you might be dealing with as you uh, seek to follow Jesus. Uh, I don't know if you're maybe looking at the remainder of your life and thinking, 
am I going to make it to the finish line? Maybe that's what you're thinking, maybe not. It could be that there are things in your life right now that seem insurmountable. Uh, trials ahead that might lie ahead that you think, how am I going to get past these? Maybe, like we said, maybe there's that persistent sin that you just can't overcome. Maybe there's a this sense of doubt about your place in God's family. Maybe as you look at your life, you, you recognize you're so in love with the world, enamored by the world, that you just feel a great distance between you and Jesus. Maybe you feel like you're in the, the spiritual wilderness, so to speak. Whatever it is, whatever it might be, I hope that you've been able to see as we've gone through this short chapter that the God that we worship, the God we follow, the God we give our lives to, the God we bow down to, as Joshua did at the end of this chapter, that is the God who will stop at nothing to ensure that he brings his people home. That's who he is. He's the God who brings his people to that future promised land Uh, that new creation with Christ. And he's shown that. I think we've seen that tonight in the way that he uh, displays his mighty acts. That's in our case, the mighty act of uh, Christ's death for us. That act that means that our real enemies, our sin, our our death, uh, those things have no, they're they're quaking in their boots, right? Their hearts have melted because of what Jesus has done. And uh, we can think as well about how God has marked us as his people. He's marked us out as part of his covenant people, not through a a physical uh, ritual, but through the circumcision of Christ. Something that means that my sin, my shame can be rolled away, that it can be removed completely. And then finally, we can reflect on the fact that he is with us right now. Jesus is with us fighting to keep us uh, on track, fighting to keep that promise that he made to us so long ago. And that's the God that we follow. Uh, that's the God who fights for his people. That is the God who's fighting, if you're following him, fighting to bring you through the finish line uh, to your eternal home. Now let's pray. Father in heaven, we are grateful for all that you have done for us. Uh, we, we look at our lives, uh, we think about uh, what, how you've blessed us already, and we think about the path ahead. Uh, we know at some point Jesus will return and we will go to be with him. But until that moment comes, we know life will continue to have its difficulties. Life will continue to have its trials, the, the struggles that we uh, may not yet have overcome. Uh, Father, in the face of those things, help us to remember uh, your mighty act for us in Christ. Help us to remember uh, your faithfulness to us, that you have rolled away our sin in our shame. Help us to remember that you are with us every step of the way. Give us confidence to follow you in the, the highs and the lows of life, in the hills and in the valleys. Uh, we ask for your help with this in Jesus' name. Amen.